I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so what are we up to? Is this episode 108? Am I reading this right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, you are. Wow. All right, cool. Uh, so in this one, we're going to take a good thing and we're going to make it better. Yes. Uh, is that how that song goes? I never listened to the Beatles. I know that's like weird, but I just don't know. I'm, I don't know. Okay. I'm just going to st- I knew that was the Beatles. I'm going to state right? from the beginning, we will not be putting any Beatles into the bone broth. Okay. But if you would like to listen to the Beatles while you make your bone broth, that's fine. But this bone broth will not contain any Beatles. Although, I no. I'm just gonna chew on that idea for a while. No, and I'll come back to you, and I will spit out some exoskeleton. You guys, <laughs> he wants to eat bugs. He really <laughs> wants to eat bugs, and we, I support. We've gotten, we've gotten as far as crickets. You know, we've worked through some cricket uh, <laughs> dishes, and it's been pretty good. I support that ecologically, um, but I do not want to eat bugs. I don't want to look at bugs on my plate and put them in my mouth. So we've worked with ground up crickets. If they're in the broth, they won't, you won't see them until they swim up to the top. We're not putting beetles in the broth. (laughs) (laughs) All of you guys listening to this podcast, do not worry. There won't be any beetles in the broth. This week's episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast is about bone broth and how great it is (laughs) and how adding herbs, but not beetles to it can make it even better. Yes. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, before we get really focused onto this topic, um, before we rein ourselves in from this tangent, we do need to do our reclaimer, which is to tell you enthusiastically um, that we are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas we discuss in our podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only. But, I mean, education is a pretty worthy purpose. It's so important. we're here yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's body is different, so the things we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some information to think about and some ideas to research further. And we want to remind you that your good health is your own personal responsibility. So the final decision in any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours, which we think is a wonderfully empower- empowering thing. Yeah. And you probably knew that all of the decisions you make in your kitchen are yours as well. Yes. So let's do that. All right. (laughs) That that was a good transition there, babe. Oh, so good. No, it was excellent. Yes, we're talking, yeah, you know, because that's where you make the broth. I mean, probably. In the kitchen. Yeah. 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 So uh, bone broth, right? It's 2020. Uh, By now, everybody has rediscovered that bone broth is really good for you, um, and it's becoming trendy. And normally, I try to really stay away from things that are trendy, especially when herbs get trendy, like a particular herb, because usually they're coming from someplace far away, and usually some place that's probably being exploited. And also, when herbs get trendy, then uh, I fear for the population of that plant and the like sustainability of it. So... Normally when things get trendy, I sort of back off. But bone broth. I'm so excited that bone broth is trendy. This is an acceptable trend. Yes, because this is a part of human existence, right? For as long as we've been humaning, we've been putting bones in water and cooking it and then drinking the water. Like Right. Yeah. 
because uh, among other things, you can soften them to the point where you can get what's inside. Yeah. And that is some good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, this is a way to get really bioavailable minerals into your system. It is so much better than a calcium tablet. Like yeah. this is... This is minerals that are going to come. You know, bones are not only made out of calcium. They are made out of lots and lots of minerals. They are a complex crystalline structure that holds minerals also like a bank. So when we make bone broth, we are creating a really mineral rich broth that has those minerals. Elsie is just really trying to get comfortable on her dog bed here beside us. And it's sort of ridiculous. Um, are you having fun, Papa? <laughs> I always feel like I should include pictures of our pets on the podcast page with all the links <laughs> because they're forever making noises or making appearances. Just lay down, Papa. Just lay down and be comfy. Yes, you good dog. All right. Bone broth. We were talking about minerals. So the thing is that extracting those minerals into water makes them really available for your body to absorb, but it does that in a like, ratio that is the way that your body expects it to be. If you just take a calcium tablet, like you're just getting buckets of calcium and your body's kind of like, I don't really know what to do with this. There's just too much. Mm. But in bone broth, this is calcium that is easy to assimilate, easy to absorb, uh, and it comes in ratio with the magnesium, with the selenium, with the all the different things that go into bones. Um, yeah. They're in there. It's amazing. And you get them. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a ton of great stuff. So, I mean, from your bones, you're getting your mineral content. You're getting... Uh, like you say, things that are not easy to get other places. You're getting gelatin, and that's going to be supporting your mucous membranes yeah. and your whole GI tract, restoring integrity there, which is really important. It's like um, something that's the opposite of leaky gut. It's integral gut syndrome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty fun. No, integral gut, it's not a syndrome. It's a It's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. um, integral gut symphony. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then there are some other fun things in bone broth, especially when you make it from bones that have some gristle or some connective tissue on there, uh, some collagen. That's going to deliver some things like chondroitin and other glycosaminoglycans, um, or including glucosamine, which is pretty famous and you can yeah. get, get supplements of. But these are elements that are going to help to um, both to soothe inflammation in your GI tract and to, to regulate some damage there. But also, after they've been absorbed and utilized and spread through the body, these are going to contribute to the growth and the healing and the the um, the health of connective tissue mm. in your body. So your joints, your tendons, your ligaments, all these different places are going to be nourished by this food. That's pretty awesome. Um, bone broth also provides a lot of glycine, which is a particular amino acid. And this has its own jobs, like it's important in wound healing, it's going to help to improve the digestive process on its own. It also supports liver function in your body. Um, it, it can support liver function in a way that helps you to clear through stress hormones more readily and more completely. Um, but also, uh, glycine kind of helps to balance out your amino acid profile um, in such a way that you actually get more benefit from the meat that you eat. Mm. And so, um, you know, as, as, uh, as meat eaters here... Um, Omnivores? Yeah. We think it's important to not just eat meat, but to have the whole array of, um, of animal foods. And so, like, organ meats are a big part of that. 
but bone broth is a really essential part of that. And like you said, this all kind of goes back to humans um, hunting and then saying, well, I went through all that trouble. Let's see. Right? I took I can... the life of an animal. I am not going to waste any part of it. Yeah. And I feel that way about the life of animals that nourish me and also the life of plants that nourish me. I don't want to waste any part of it because that thing was alive and now it is my food. And so I want to be worth that food. I want to, I want to not waste any. And I also want to live a life that will honor the sacrifice that the things that fed me made to feed me. Yeah. Yeah. It really matters, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that way, yeah, nothing is nothing is going to waste. Yeah. And uh, that's good all the way around for you. You know, you mentioned protein um, absorbability, and uh, that is also something to think about when we're thinking about bone broth, that there's actually quite a bit of protein in there. Right. There's also, um, unless you skim it off, there's also fat in there. And so when we're thinking about bone broth, this is a super easy to digest food that will sustain you for a long period of time. If you are a person who, for whatever reason right now, can't really eat food. So this is going to be true for a huge spectrum of people, whether this is a person who has just had a big Crohn's flare up or an IBS flare up and their right. guts feel awful and they just can't stomach basically anything. You can just sip on broth all day long and okay, you're probably going to lose some weight because there's like, you're not eating as many calories, but your body's going to keep going because you are at least getting all of the nutrients that you need to keep things moving. And especially if we add herbs into there as well. Right. But this is also beautiful for somebody, let's say, who is going through chemotherapy and they're, um, they're not really able to eat because they're really nauseous and just nothing is, is right in their body. Like everything is sort of dealing with the toxicity of the chemotherapy, which, you know, they're doing because they, they need to do right now, but it, it takes a really big toll on the body. And so here again, we have something that um, is highly, highly nutritive and can keep a person going um, over a long haul, even when a person is in a place where they really can't eat, you know, like right. solid food and have that stay in them. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I mean, so uh, bone broth, it provides all these different kind of things, and this is before we even have gotten around to putting herbs into it. Right. Right. This is one of the things, actually, that makes us prefer broth to like trying to isolate what's good in broth and pull that out and, and have that. So like I've seen a lot of um, things lately like, oh, well, if you don't want to eat bone broth, you can still get a lot of the benefits from just consuming gelatin. And that's true to an extent, but gelatin is only one of many things that you're going to get right, in broth. Right. Right? right. It's like this is a whole spectrum. Yeah. And just like if you isolate calcium and take it by itself, like that's actually not super helpful to your body. Your body's like, well, gee, thanks, but kind of not. <laughs> and ultimately, actually, you could go in a kidney stone direction with that. Well. But in this, in it, when when you have calcium in its full spectrum of all the different things that your body's going to sort of expect to come at the same time, yeah. then your body's like, oh, I can break this down. I can combine it with this. I can use it over here. This is great. Yeah. And those expectations come from millennia of... <laughs> We're consuming these things in yeah. this kind of pattern, yeah. So okay, yeah. So it's um, it's a it's a thing. But you may be saying, okay, I know that all my ancestors knew how to do this, but like I don't know where to start. <laughs> what do I do? How do I go from bones to broth? You know, yeah. like what's the alchemy there? Yeah. Um, it's super simple. It's really easy. 
You take a bunch of bones. You do it. You put them in a pot. Mm-hmm, yes. You fill it with water. Mm, yes. You apply fire. Don't forget that part. Yeah. It really helps. Yeah. And so this is, you can do it in a crock pot. Um, you can do it on your stove. You do want to cook it for a long time. You really want to cook it until those bones get soft and crumbly. I'm going to sneeze any minute here. Um, you want to just, just to warn you ahead of time, uh, you want to do it till those bones get soft and you can like mush them. Um, so you might boil this or simmer it, like bring it to a boil and then back it down to a simmer for hours. Um, what we like to do is to bring it up to a boil, boil it for three or four hours and sort of like leave it on the stove. And anytime that I'm in the kitchen, like whenever I go to making some lunch, okay, boil the bone broth. When I'm making some dinner, ah, boil the bone broth. And that way I don't have it turned on like for an entire day. It's sort of a little bit more energy efficient, but, um, but this works great with a crock pot too. If you just turn it on in the morning and pop the lid on it and it's going to just simmer and bubble all day long. And then at night you will have, you will have simmered it for, you know, 10 or 12 hours and it's ready to go. Yeah. I, you can work with any kind of bones that you like. Yep. Um, and you can even make a broth that doesn't have any bones in it, but still has a lot of similar benefits. If you had, say, a whole bunch of shells left over from eating mussels and clams and that kind yep. of thing. We did it once with crab. Remember that there it's was actually a New really Year's... good. Yeah, it there was, was one New Year's where uh, my daughter really wanted to see what crab was all about. And so we got those big, long legs that, that they have at the grocery store on like a pile of ice and we were like okay let's see what this is like and then we took all of the exoskeleton parts and put them in the pot and filled it with water and applied fire and hey crab broth it was great yeah yeah Uh, it can be fish heads and scales and fins and all of that stuff yeah Um, chicken feet sure it can be basically any bone and i will say that i combine bones so I do keep them sort of... You you have reluctantly come around to doing that sometimes. When I first met you, you would like never, ever do well, that. No way. <laughs> I still have some never evers. For example, I don't like to mix chicken bones with beef bones. Yeah, yeah. That's gross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pork bones, I'll kind of put anywhere. That's fine. Uh, I, I do like to keep my land animals separate from my sea animals. <laughs> like I don't want chicken bones and fish bones together. That seems gross to me. Um and typically I will keep all of my things that can fly, like any of those b- bones can go together. And things on four legs, any of those bones can go together. And you can put any bones you want together, but to my palate, that is <laughs> the most pleasing. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I also want to say here that, um, is this a good time to say this? I don't know. But you don't have to make it yourself. Like, yeah. Um, it's great if you have bones and make it yourself for lots of reasons, um, not the least of which you paid for those bones. And so, you know, make the broth out of them. And these days where we have crock pots, like it will do the work for you. So that's, that's really great. But the reality is that sometimes you are so busy that you literally cannot toss the bones and a gallon of water into a crock pot. Like there are days like that and it is real. And so I just want to say from the very beginning, this isn't really the very beginning anymore. It's like 20 minutes in, but fine. The, the 20 minutes in point, uh, I really want to say that it is okay to purchase broth. Mm. Um, all the things that we're going to say from here forward about all the things that you can put in it, you can still do if you buy the broth. So 
Um, the most important thing is that the broth gets into your body. And I don't want to set up some kind of like, um, like purity test or whatever that you're, you're never going to be healthy if you don't make your own bone broth. You can buy it. It's totally fine. We always have a couple of boxes of bone broth in the house because um, sometimes I get busy and that's always when, when one of us gets sick and then I didn't have time to make broth and maybe I don't have any in the freezer or whatever. And then it's like, fine, I will get on a box of broth and I will put all the stuff in it and I'll heat it up and then we're going to eat it. It's going to be fine. Yeah. So, all right, just got that out of the way. You are not never going to be healthy if you don't make your own broth you can buy it it is okay yeah yeah all right cool so let's start talking about enhancing our bone broth with the addition of herbs yes let's get to that because that's really what this podcast is mostly about it is yeah um you have this great list here we're organized by category if we are organized by category um, i want to change the order of the categories. Oh, are you? Yeah, I should have done that before we started. Okay. Uh, but I want to change the order of the categories, and here's the reason why. Because you're starting off with bitter prebiotic roots, and I hate it when you put those in the broth. Yeah, right. And we should probably do it like things that go in before we divide and yes. spice. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That like, I want to put in like the seaweeds and the mushrooms first, because those are the things that um, taste really... Uh, like they belong there. Oh, that sounds kind of weird. But like the flavor, they're flavors that you will not notice. They just become a savory part of the soup. And if you're thinking, Rin, I don't know how you manage to put all this reishi in your soup and then you end up with this bitter soup and perhaps you even want to put the word nasty in front of it. um, That doesn't make you not an herbalist. I too can't stand bitter soup. I (laughs) would love it if I could, but I just don't like it and um you get your bitter other places i get my bitter other places and it just doesn't appeal to me so um so if you don't mind i would like to reorder this which actually you already did yeah Um, yeah this will this will be good too because in terms of flavor that that is an important aspect about about the the broth making process in our house and and we've taught this to other people and i think it's works working for them too is like you start with these um things in it from the beginning that, like you say, they have a savory flavor, they combine well with the flavor of the bones itself, um, and they're not, like, very strong and noticeable. But then later on, we're going to put in some stuff to to spice it up or to, to push it in a maybe a particular medicinal direction as well. Yeah. Um, but it is handy to have that as the, as the process every time, uh, because different people are going to like different kinds of spice, even yeah. if you're not thinking about the the digestive power of sage or whatever, right. like somebody just might not want that. And so, um, you have your kind of like neutral broth, get that make a whole bunch of that. And then by your cup or by your bowl is when you're adding in more specific herbs or, uh, herbs and spices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that there's so many ways to work with bone broth. Right. Um, so if you're like, Oh, but I don't like soup. Well, I am right there with you. I too do not love soup. Um, but one thing that we do is if we make rice instead of water, we use bone broth for the, for the water part. And now suddenly we have like drastically increased the nutritional value of the rice. Um, and if that's the case, you kind of want the flavor of what you're working with to be 
like a neutral savory flavor um, because maybe you don't know, like, is this rice going to go with curry or is this rice going to go with some fish? Like, I don't, I, I, I don't want the flavor to be too strong so I can, so I can make it match with whatever my meal is going to be. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let's start with seaweeds then. Let's do that. Oh my goodness. Seaweeds. Um, I've been talking for a while. Is it your turn? Sure. I just realized I'm like babble, babble, babble. That's fine. We love it. And I want to babble all about seaweeds, but I'll let you do it first. <laughs> uh, well, let's start with a couple of red seaweeds, actually. So um, dulse and nori are two of our absolute favorites to put into broth. I feel like if we had all of the whole seaweed palette available to us, but we're making broth, those are probably the first ones I would reach for. They are my two favorite. They're really tasty. Yeah. They're uh, they're savory. They're a bit umami, I would say, in flavor. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're rich, rich and enriching to the, yes. the flavor of the soup. Um, so there's a lot to recommend them just from a, from a culinary profile. Um, <laughs> yeah, really super delicious. Yeah. Um, dulce in particular is one of the best for people who are kind of new to, um, to seaweed. Maybe don't eat a whole lot of it. Uh, maybe their only prior experience with seaweed was like that green paper stuff that you wrap your sushi in, yep. which is cool. You know, hey, everything counts. Um, but dulce has a pretty mild flavor. It's not too fishy. Um, it's not super intense and even the, the seaweed itself is pretty easy to chew, um, yeah, <laughs> which not every true. seaweed, uh, actually is, you know, you get to your bladder racks and stuff and it's like a little bit of a workout. Yeah. <laughs> Dulse, you can actually just eat without cooking it and really maybe nori, but the other seaweeds, you really cannot do that. You have to do something before you can, you just, they should at least be roasted or something. You can't yeah. just grab a piece of digitata and like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the red seaweeds have a lot to recommend them. Um, you know, we do have a, a blog post about red seaweeds and one about mm. the about the brown as well. So I'll yeah. put those in the show notes too. Can dig in a little further. But basically, uh, these are healing agents. They're vulneraries in, in herbal language, which is to say they help to um, heal damage, to heal wounds, to accelerate the regrowth of healthy tissue. And in your stomach and in your GI tract, like all through your intestines, we're thinking there about damage not caused by like cuts and scrapes so much, but by inflammation, by yeah. irritations, um, your body responding to the things you eat and, uh, and you know, fighting with them, some of them or just, you know, getting some, getting some irritation going on. Um, red seaweeds really help to soothe that, heal that and calm that down. They can even help to fight off viral infections, mm-hmm. um, or maybe better said, to help to normalize the viral aspects of your microbiome. That might be a little bit closer to the truth there. Um, all of our seaweeds are going to well, have... wait, not necessarily truth, but a little closer to the mechanism of action. Okay. Because the end result, that was a true statement, but, yeah. but like if we're thinking about the mechanism of action of it... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. And, you know, speaking of the microbiome, all of our seaweeds are going to have beneficial effects on your gut flora Mm. um, because they all have prebiotic fibers that are going to be food uh, and nutrients for uh, your friendly gut critters. Um, So that's pretty cool. Now, there is a little bit of an adjustment period. So if you're brand new to eating seaweed and you make your broth with like piles and piles of it and chew it all down and eat lots of it, you'll probably get some intestinal gas and, and all of that for a couple of days. Um, but you will adapt, and after that it will fade away and recede. Mm. So you can like introduce slowly and build up, um, or you can just cope with that for a little while. But um, 
but that's not a that's not a sign that something has gone wrong. It's just a sign of remodeling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, another of the red seaweeds is Irish moss. Mm. And Irish moss is, oh my goodness, it's amazing. It too has a mild, um, savory flavor. It it has a little bit more of a fishy smell. Um, but for all of the seaweeds, that goes away very quickly. Like if you're keeping it in a package, like a jar or a bag or something, when you open the bag, you will smell like, wow, it smells really like the ocean at low tide. Um but if you put that in within five minutes, that smell has completely dissipated. So if if you are put off by the smell, um, I just want to assure you that the flavor uh, won't be that way and that the smell dissipates really fast. So just turn the vent on on your stove or open the window and it'll be gone quick. Yeah. Um, if you, however, are turned on by that smell, like maybe you really love being by the seaside and you're like, oh, smells like the ocean. Well, then that's just fantastic. There you go. Um, but Irish moss is a seaweed that has really high mucilage content. Mucilage, mucilagens are demulcents. These are slimy constituents. And uh, you will see that when you're making the Irish, when you're making broth with Irish moss, it thickens up. Um, especially as it starts to cool, it really yeah. thickens up. And like you, you might not notice until that happens. Yeah, you'd be like, "Yeah, it's broth. It's hot. It's liquid. It behaves like water." Okay, and then you let it cool down and come back, and you're like, "It's like Jello." What happened? Yeah. Now a good broth is going to have this aspect anyway because there's already gelatin in the gristle of the bones. Yeah. But you will see with the Irish moss, it gets so like literally. You could put it in a jello mold. Cut it into cubes. Yes, know, like. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, that is a traditional dessert in Ireland that they would take and boil down the Irish moss and then put sweetener in there, maybe some cream or some different things, um, and make it into something very similar to like fun. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, so or like a jello mold except you know, like a jello ring except the flavor is a little different. Um but yeah, so this Irish moss is really, really particularly beautiful if you are um, feeling digestive distress, IBS, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, celiac, like any of that stuff. Um, well, and the gut distress from chemo too. Any of that right. is going to be amazing uh, when you when you like add in the Irish moss. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, we have we have listeners from lots of uh, experience levels. Many herbalists have um, learned or or taught about working with slippery elm for mm -hmm. people who are like convalescing or going through chemo or this kind of thing, and making slippery elm gruel is not really all that different from making Irish moss gruel, right? Uh, like, I find it more palatable. Like Irish moss bone broth gruel. Yeah, I find it a lot more delicious. Yeah, yeah. So per I mean, personally. It's certainly like on par, and I think in some elements it could exceed the slippery elm in terms of its uh, regenerative potential. <laughs> not <clears throat> to mention the sustainability. Well, yeah. You know, Irish yeah. moss is, is more sustainable than slippery elm because slippery elm right now is really... Um, suffering from Dutch elm disease, uh, whereas Irish moss is, um, I'm going to say, cultivatable. And I think what I really mean by that is stewardable. You mm. know, like we can steward our um, our 
population of Irish moss in being very careful about how we harvest it and ensuring that it's coming back every year. Yeah. Um, and so it is it is very possible and many, many companies are harvesting seaweed in unsustainable ways um, that pose a, a big risk to the seaweed populations. But there are also many, many places where you can purchase seaweed that is being not just sustainably harvested, but legitimately stewarded. And I think that um, just as a sort of uh, sneak peek, uh, I'm really excited to talk about this concept next in next week's episode. Um, about like stewardship and sustainability as herbalists. And so I want to just, I think we'll bring this up multiple more times as this episode goes through, but I want to be really thinking about when you're sourcing seaweed um, to do the work of finding a company to purchase from that is stewarding their um, seaweed populations. And uh, for us, that is AtlanticHoldFast.com. And we'll put that link in the show notes for you. Yeah, yeah, that's a great supplier. Yeah. So, yeah, they'll have the red seaweeds there. Um, you know, uh, nori definitely has a season, so... <laughs> nori is hard to get in this country. It, it, is, yeah. it is, We don't have enormous populations of it. And so um, you can have a little bit every year. And that's appropriate. That's totally fine. Yeah. Um, but there's usually a lot of kelp available. There is. Yeah. Yes. Kelp and Alaria digitata. These are, um, these are really tough seaweeds. Uh, in terms of a flavor profile, they are, um, like maybe the next level. They, they're a little bit more oceanic, um, but still very savory. Still the fishy smell goes away really quickly. It will not taste like fish in your chicken broth um it really does just taste savory Mm. um but it's a little bit more flavor forward i again i'm a picky eater i i don't know i don't know what to tell you i shouldn't be a picky eater i know how to not be a picky eater i know how to be grateful for whatever shows up on my plate but if i am cooking i'm picky and I'm still perfectly happy with kelp and alaria and digitata so if you're a little worried about trying it um, I think that you will probably find that it is just a lovely savory addition. Um, so these seaweeds are tougher. They need more time to cook. Um, it, it, it's better if they're chopped up some. And the best way to do that is with scissors, like a really strong pair of scissors. Right, because you can get these um, you know, from the, the seaweed harvester and they'll be in these long strips, maybe even like folded back on themselves. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually useful because sometimes we want a big long strip of seaweed to do a wrap around a sprained yes. ankle or around yes. a place where there's some bone reformation or even like just skin remodeling that has to happen. Seaweed wraps are awesome and it's super handy that they can come in that form. Yeah. But when you're going to eat it, you know, you're probably not going to do the like Lady and the Tramp thing where you just like have a big long seaweed <laughs> seaweed noodle between the two of you. Probably no, it's not, not quite no. as romantic as the other one. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, chop it up with scissors, no problem. Uh, you know, or if you maybe you're cooking for a family and maybe some member of your family is kind of picky and they're not willing to to eat the seaweed or see it in the broth, or maybe the recipe that you're making just calls for clear broth. Like maybe you're making French onion soup or something and you just don't want to have a lot of things floating around in there. Um, Then 
working with a just one large piece of kelp or like maybe breaking it into a couple of pieces um, allows you to easily remove it when you have created the broth. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's great to eat it. You get a lot of the fibers that way. You do get just more in general of all the stuff. But if you've simmered that for a good long time, uh, then basically it is in the broth. Like what broth really is, is tea made out of bones and whatever else you put in it, right? So this is bone and seaweed tea. Um, so just, just cook it for a good long time. And a lot of what's in the seaweed is now in the broth. So um, if you're thinking, oh, this is a great idea, but there is no way that my husband, kid, sister, whoever would ever eat something if there was seaweed in it. You don't have to tell them. Strain it out. They'll still be getting the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the good stuff in question here is going to be the same as with our red seaweeds. You're going to get those minerals. You're going to get that wound healing effect. You're going to get some of those interesting prebiotic fibers and some other um, really special polysaccharide compounds that you're only going to find in seaweed mm. and not in any land plants. Um, things like fucoidan and algin and things that have been found to interface with our immune system in really interesting ways to challenge the immune system and awaken it, but not to overstimulate, um, only to give it a little bit of a little bit of an enhancement or a supercharge, you know, so um, those are really valuable uh, in that regard and have some similarity to what we're going to talk about when we get to the medicinal mushrooms in one moment. But one last thing on seaweed is, of course, the iodine content, you know, mm -hmm. and so that would fall under under like elementals or minerals in here. Minerals, yeah. Um, but iodine is one of these that's really, again, unique to the seaweeds, hard to access from land plants and even from land foods generally. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like you can you can eat the thyroid of a moose. And that has a bunch of iodine in yeah, it. Yeah, there's not a lot of it, though. <laughs> like, um, like, you're, yeah. you're not going to get that... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, historically, right, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, people would recognize conditions and say, okay, you need to either eat the thyroid of a moose, or we need to trade for some seaweed from the people who live by the coast. Right. Because that will solve this problem. Right. And many of those are what today we would look at as thyroid deficiency or thyroid, you know, um, disorders of, of various kinds. Mm. Seaweed provides this essential nutrient, and it can be extremely powerful in helping to resolve problems that that originate with a lack of it um or that otherwise you've got you've got trouble with with thyroid function and i mean that that echoes out all throughout the whole rest of your body right really it's like yeah. your master thermometer it's how how warm you can keep your body and that that's going to affect your mood and your emotions as well as your digestion rate you know and how fast your hair grows and just everything not to mention that it uh is closely um intertwined with our body's uptake and utilization of minerals. It is like, there's just, there's so much going on with the thyroid. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So seaweeds are a really great way to sustain and maintain good thyroid health. Um, and then again, the consequences from that can be really broad. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You know, bladder rack is a seaweed that if you really are going for the iodine content, um, that is one that it's great to work with. And that falls into that, you know, the brown seaweed category, and it's much more like flavor forward than, than like dulse. Um, mm. But again, it is palatable. It is, it's totally doable. Um, and it's got a, a much higher iodine content. So they all have it. They right. all have all this stuff. But, uh, but I would say in terms of specifically iodine, 
um, the Dulles and the Nori and the Irish Moss are going to be great but lower, and Kelp, Valeria, Digitata, and then especially Bladderrack are going to be higher. Yeah, right, right. Cool. Okay, well, let's move on then. Talk yeah. about some of the medicinal mushrooms we like to put in our oh, broths. Yum. Yeah. Oh, mushrooms. Yummy, yum. Probably so, the most common ones are the shiitake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, shiitake are easy to get. Most people can get them fresh at the grocery store. Uh, you can get them dried. I find the flavor to be very off-putting. It is. It's it does not change. the same. It really changes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not the same when, um, when it's fresher when it's dried. So with shiitake, I really want them fresh. Um, however, you with all mushrooms, it's really important to cook them for a good long time. And now we're back to bugs. Because, um, yes, y'all followed that one, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Because there is a constituent in the cellular structure of mushrooms that is also in bugs, uh, and it's called chitin, and it's very difficult to break down. And so, a lot of the good stuff that's in mushrooms is sort of like protected by this chitin, and the way to break it down is to cook it for a long time. So, um, so broth is really an ideal way to work with mushrooms. And so even though you've got fresh shiitake mushrooms and like in one sense, you could chew them, you could eat them without cooking them. You're just not going to get as much out of them. Um, even if you saute them, you won't get as much out of them. They're delicious that way, but you won't get nearly as much out of them as you do when you really cook them for a good long time in the broth. Yeah. And kind of on that note, you know, and this this also really applies to the, the discussion of seaweeds, you're going to be getting much more of these things when you actually eat the the material, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you make your broth with seaweed and, and shiitake and maitake and these other mushrooms and all, um, but then you strain it out, like through a, a, a mesh strainer or something before you actually drink it, um, yes, you are still getting protein. You are still getting minerals. You are still getting those fibers and everything. We've and discussed. it's good. It's great. It's awesome. However, you will get more of all of those things if you yeah. actually eat the bits of seaweed and you eat the bits of the mushroom and all of yeah. that. Um, so especially if this is something that you are relying on um, as, a, as a major source of mineral content, of protein and all of that, then you're definitely going to want to be eating up all of those good bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, and if you can, right? right? If you're in a place where you're just super nauseous and you can't chew anything... It is fine. You're still going to get a lot of good. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, um, maybe somebody is a, is a vegan and they don't want to have any bones in their broth, but they still want to have broth. Then the seaweeds and the mushrooms become even more important. Yeah, that's really right? true. They become really, really important. And at that point, then you definitely are going to want to be eating them um, so that you really do do get whatever is present there. Absolutely. Because um, you're missing out on major sources otherwise yeah. in, in that particular diet. So, Okay. Um, but you know, shiitake, they taste good. And when you've cooked them that way, they're, they're not hard to eat. They don't, they don't remain hard to chew or anything. They're almost like noodles at that point. Yeah. They break down. It's nice. And I think maitake even more so. I love maitake and maitake don't have the problem that shiitake have when you dry them. Uh, they dry very mild and that's great because sometimes it's harder to find shiitake fresh. Maitake. Yes, thank you. Sometimes it's harder to find maitake fresh. Um, But you can get them dried. Um, Even Mountain Rose carries them. So uh, that is one that I really like to always have in the pantry. 
because um, if I like you know get sick and it's an inconvenient time and I didn't just go to the store yesterday and I don't have any fresh mushrooms I can always have my taki dried in the pantry and just toss it right in um and it tastes great uh it's it's again it's really mild it's really savory it has a little bit of salty umaminess to it mm -hmm. um it just blends really well with the broth in general and ultimately if you've simmered it for a while again it sort of has a noodle like um consistency almost yeah like an al dente noodle they're great for sure yeah um, turkey tails and oyster mushrooms are pretty similar mm -hmm. um, in, in regards to the way they behave and also in terms of uh, their medicinal aspects here. Yeah. With all of these mushrooms, um, we're looking again at some of their complex polysaccharides, right? So these are structures that are like chemically related to sugar but don't really behave anything like sugar in your body <laughs> because they're they're much longer and more complex and they branch and they bend in, in interesting ways and um, much of what they do in in regards to our health has to do with the way our immune systems respond to them and the way our gut flora respond to them mm. which is sort of a way of saying the same thing because a lot of your gut right? flora's because... job is to is to be part of your immune system yeah to perform functions like that so most famously, we're talking about what are called beta-glucans, um, but don't get stuck on that and think that that's the end of the story when it comes to medicinal mushrooms. It's just kind of the most famous ones, mm. right? Beta-glucans are immunomodulating polysaccharides found in medicinal mushrooms. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? It means these are constituents that can um, enhance immunity where it's deficient, but also redirect or calm down immunity where it's excessive. And excessive immune expressions are generally going to mean inflammation that's raging, mm -hmm. or maybe some cases of autoimmunity could be involved in a, in a presentation like that. Um, and so those are pretty common, actually, <laughs> in, right, our, in our right, world, right. in our time. Uh, and so the medicinal mushrooms can be really helpful. And it's, it's not at all uncommon for people to have um, deficient immune expression where you need it to like fight off pathogens you get exposed to. At the same time as expressive yeah. immune, immune activity where you don't need it, like attacking your own joints and giving you rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. So um, mushrooms are going to help uh, kind of across the board for a case like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the many reasons we love them. I love mushrooms. I, they are so helpful to me and they're so, they're just like a really important part of my complete health protocol, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can remember times when, uh, the budget was really tight and I would just protect a little bit of money in the grocery budget to be like, okay, but I need some mushrooms cause, cause that really helps my body. And so like, I would always protect just this little separate mushroom budget budget, even if it was small, um, because they really, really do. And I, um, I have a, an autoimmune, uh, condition. And so, for me, that is a huge part of managing that, keeping it in check. I'm, I'm asymptomatic, but that's because of uh, the work that I do to, to manage it. And uh, mushrooms are just, I have so much gratitude to them for, <laughs> for this. I want to add one other one in there, actually, and that's lion's mane mushroom, which is not always easy to find. But if you can get your hands on it, it is super effective, um, especially if you have any kind of nervous system issues, which uh, which I do. 
So this is really regenerative to the nervous system. It still has all those other immunomodulating effects, but also super nourishing and regenerative to nerve tissue itself. Um, so again, like you can't always get your hands on it. Um, but when you can, it's delicious. It's very mild. Um, and it's really, it's one that I, I really want to learn how to grow. Mm. Yeah. 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 We're going to get there. Excited about it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Another one that we'd like to, um, to encourage and also that, that we know we found in the forests yeah. of, of places where we live and explore, uh, is reishi. Right. Also called lingji, but um, reishi. So this is a medicinal mushroom um, that is uh, very powerful mm. and has a very long history of uh, medicinal work in cultures of the places where it grows, most famously in China mm -hmm. um, and East Asia. But um, reishi is another immunomodulating mushroom. And it also has benefits for liver function and for your cardiovascular system. Um and for your digestive function as well. So there's really... And nervous system health and emotional I mean, yeah, health and yeah. uh, respiratory health. It, reishi is a powerhouse. It's one of these, you know, uh, one of these things that gets a reputation as the, the mushroom of immortality, right? The elixir yeah. of long life yeah. kind of thing. And that, I mean, there's a fair argument to be made for that, yeah. Um, reishi differs from the others we've discussed so far in that no matter how long you put it in the broth, you are not going to chomp this down. No, you can't uh, eat it. Reishi is woody. Um, and rubbery at the same time somehow. <laughs> and so... <laughs> it's like, it's like very durable styrofoam. That's I don't something. know. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. yeah, you can't chew it. Yeah. So you'll, you'll generally, um, you know, have reishi from your, your friendly neighborhood herb supplier. Um, it will often come in these slices of the mushroom that are kind of like oh, long. Oh, you're thinking about... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have... I hold, like them hold that because... up to the microphone so they can see it. Right. No, you guys can see this, right? Well, you guys watching on YouTube can see it. Um, I like it because they kind of look like mustaches. Um, That's exactly what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. Uh, but you can, you can see in them that, the, like, as you get them sliced, don't buy them not sliced because they are... Real, you basically need a sawzall to cut them if they've been dried whole. A bandsaw, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. Um, but if you get them sliced, you'll see that there's, like, all the different parts. There's the, the very fine, like, gills that are... They're not gills because reishi is a polypore mushroom, but... There's, like, striations internally. Yeah, when you, when you look at it internally, it almost looks like there's gills. Um, and then just the different, the different uh, sort of hat layers on top of that that are protecting it um the the i mean it looks almost like it's been lacquered you know if yeah. you actually see the surface of it it has mm -hmm. this this like brown red mahogany color on it uh yeah fascinating stuff but yeah so we would often get it this way and take you know some of these and put them into the broth but this is one where you can run into that problem of making your soup too bitter to really enjoy yes i will never put reishi in the broth. And I know that there's an entire culture of Asia that is like, why would you not put reishi in the broth? And um, I, for all of the people in the world who grew up eating bitter soup, um, that is a skill that I would like to develop, but I haven't done it yet. And so I do not put reishi in the broth because it is really super bitter. It is not a little bit bitter. It's a lot bitter. Yeah. And your broth will taste like reishi. <laughs> and I just don't like it. 
But reishi is amazing. And my favorite way to work with reishi is as a water extract. Um, so I put mine in the not coffee. Right. That's how I like it. And we'll put a link to not coffee in the show notes. Yeah, no problem. But yeah, don't let that dissuade you. Um, give it a try at least once and see what you think. But maybe start with a small batch, right? Make a batch of broth and then take like a bowl of broth in those small pots and add a bit of reishi to it and cook it up mm-hmm. for a while and then taste that and see what you think. And if you do enjoy it that way, then that's fantastic. And you can put a little bit of reishi into your into your big batch every time you make it and just get that coming in on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, I really encourage people to try it. And I really encourage people to try to like it, like try to develop a taste for it. But I also want to just be really honest that it is not what the palate of a Western industrialized nation is, is really um, geared to expect. And the reason that I want to be really upfront about that is because if you try it and then you don't like it, it might, you might be like, oh, well, I'll never like herbs in my broth. No, we just need to, it, this is just cooking. It's just a matter of finding the flavors that you like together. And this flavor is very, very strong and very challenging. And so that's a challenge I want to meet, but I haven't met that yet. Um, and so it's just handy to know that as you're, but, Definitely. but the flip side of that is it goes great with coffee. Like, like <laughs> the bitter flavor of reishi blends beautifully with the bitter flavor of coffee. So for me, that's how I, that's how I like to get that in. And I do every day, you know, a little decaf, a little reishi, some ashwagandha. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of ashwagandha, let's move on and talk about some immune, immune related adaptogens. Yeah. And this would absolutely include reishi. Right? Yes, yes. Um, it's a nice sort of pivot point. Right, right. Uh, but here thinking about some that are going to get us outside of the fungal kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and these are also, here we're thinking about astragalus and codonopsis. And these are also very easy adds. They are, flavor-wise, they're very similar to parsnip. Yeah. Um, they just have like, like a rooty and very slightly sweet flavor. Um so it is not in any way going to be intrusive on the flavor of the broth. If you're cooking for a family and you're worried about picky palates or whatever, probably nobody's even going to notice that you've added astragalus and codonopsis. Right. Um, in the case of astragalus, it is a, it's a woody root, so you will strain that out before you serve it. Yeah, that one you're not going to be able to you chew through yeah. later on. But codonopsis is a root that is very similar to parsnip in, in basically all ways. Um, and you absolutely can eat that when it'll come in these little... Um, yeah, tiny little cross-sections. Yeah, yeah. like, like really, it looks like a parsnip that somebody has dehydrated. It absolutely looks that way. So you can pop it in the broth and simmer it for a good long time. And then you can just serve it as if it was a rehydrated piece of parsnip. It's fine for that to just be eaten. Right. Yeah. So both of these are going to help with immune function down at a really basic level, down at the level of the bone marrow and the production of naive um, white blood cells that, that are going to go forward and choose their specialty inside of your body and decide whether to be killer cells or whether to be helper cells or to do various kinds of jobs. Um, Down there at the beginning when they're first being formed, these herbs are going to help to stimulate that process and to to get them into production and get them out there where they they can help you. Um, So they have that impact on the body 
way down at the bone marrow level. But they're also um, presenting, again, not exactly the same as what you find in your mushroom or in your seaweed, but similar kind of uh, universe or similar galaxy of constituents in there that, again, wake up immunity, um, give your body a reason to pay attention to what's going on, to check all the corners, to do some surveillance work, um, but don't actually present a threat. Uh, and so in that way, they can they can tone or they can... Uh, they can keep the immune system in good fighting shape. And also kind of shepherded, you know, like focused, like, hey, let's focus on these jobs that we really need to do and not on these things over here that really aren't actually our job. These are two herbs that are fine for people with autoimmune conditions. Um, And and Codonopsis in particular is one that I really love to work with um, for a person who's gotten into that super depleted place of autoimmunity or chronic illness, because very slowly it will build you back. Yeah. It's not like, uh, I've become depleted and I need some energy. So I'm going to have some coffee or some ginseng. It is, I've become, I've become depleted and I need to restore what was lost. And so every day I will start restoring that. And in a time period that might be a month, I will be like, hey, look at how much has been restored. Right. You know? Yeah. Codonopsis is traditionally considered to be very similar to ginseng, just gentler and yeah. slower acting yeah. and more which, affordable. Which you want. You <laughs> which, want. I mean, we want all those things. Yeah. Right. You want that slow acting stuff, especially in our current culture. Right, right. Because our current culture says, you're tired, drink caffeine and keep working. And um, you can just get yourself into more trouble that way, even even deeper exhaustion. So I feel like Codonopsis is almost like, oh, I'll fix the problem, but it's going to take a while. And, and that that is like perfect, because if it fixed the problem very quickly, then we would not stay in bed. We would not take the time to restore what was lost, because we'd be like, oh, energy, good to go. And so, yeah, Codonopsis is almost like, I see you, and I'm going to help you, but you're going to stay in bed for a while first. Yeah. 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 I love that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk also with Astragalus and Codonopsis. You mentioned about naive immune responder cells, Mm -hmm. naive white blood cells being formed in the bone marrow. And that might be a new concept for some people. This is something that we talk a lot about in the immune health course in our um, online video program. And what's going on there is that, you know, in the bone marrow, you produce white blood cells. But it's like it's like they're juvenile, right? They have to go to school before they know what their job is going to be. And so they're going to go and they're going to learn how to do the different jobs that a white blood cell can do. But here's the trick is that not every single white blood cell that ever gets made is going to make it to school, make it all the way through, graduate and actually become a functional immune responder cell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Depending on which pathway they're taking, like sometimes the the you know, the graduation rate is like 2%. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So the key here is that we want the white blood cells, the naive white blood cells that are coming from the bone marrow and moving towards their educational path. We want them to be the highest quality possible so that we can increase the number that make it all the way through the educational system and actually ultimately become functional immune responder cells. 
And this is where astragalus and codonopsis are really, really helpful because it's like they increase the quality of the product that the bone marrow produces, basically by increasing the quality of the bone marrow, right? right. Um, just like, like, you know, on a day that you are feeling awesome, you got all the sleep that you needed, you had a good breakfast, you're just feeling great, you produce good work. And on a day where you didn't sleep well the night before, you're grumpy, you're like depending on caffeine to keep you going at work. Later, if you look back on the work you did that day, there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to have to end up redoing some of it. Yeah. And so that's that's what we're talking about here is that codonopsis and astragalus, like you do that on the cellular level too. And codonopsis and astragalus um, are going to guarantee that it's a great day at work and that you're really doing your best. Yeah. And that fits in so nicely with the medium that we're delivering these herbs in here in the bone broth, right? Because in, yeah. your, in your bone broth, you've got some marrow going on as well, right? And in a similar way that, you know, you make your broth, you've got the collagenous tissue on there, the gristle on the bones that's, uh, that's made of collagen. You cook it into the soup, you dissolve it, you eat it, your body processes it and turns it into your connective tissue, Mm -hmm. right? Similar thing. You take the bone marrow from the bones, you cook it in there, you dissolve it out, you scrape it out later on and (laughs) and eat it with a spoon, specially designed for this purpose. You put it into your body, you digest it, you metabolize it, you bring it around, and it ultimately feeds the growth of your own healthy bone marrow. Mm -hmm. So now these herbs are enhancing that process too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. They're kind of amazing. All right. So aside from the reishi, everything that we've named so far would be kind of in that that neutral broth, like it tastes like soup sort of Very savory. Yeah. Like savory umami uh, just blends in. It tastes like it's supposed to with quoting marks around it, right? Like if you imagine chicken soup and you think about what it tastes like, all the things that we've talked about except reishi match that flavor profile. Right. Okay, so now we're going to put in some what I what I wrote in here as mildly bitter prebiotic roots. No, and, and you chose ones that were mildly bitter. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you know. I I still don't love them in in the broth, but <laughs> but you know for that I put them in the not coffee. That's okay. So yeah. so so just, we had to learn that though, right? Yeah, because like you taught me how to make bone broth way back in the day. And, and then it, you were like, boy, I've like, got a great idea. This is, this is awesome. And I was like, oh, we can put herbs in it. I know, I'll make like really herbal-powered bone broth, and I put in, like, all this stuff, and then showed it to you, and you were like, this, I'm not, I'm not eating that. Drink. You have a gallon of broth to drink now. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> so. touching it. I'm not eating that. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, it, that doesn't mean that I don't ever have bitter herbs. I do, but you just, here's the thing, you just need to find what works for you, yeah. and what works for me is that I'm a person with a, like a personal culture of coffee and caffeine does not work for my body. So I go with decaf, but I've come up with this not coffee blend that is made up of tons of bitter roots and, and reishi mushroom and just a little bit of decaf coffee to kind of like seal the deal. And the flavor is really delicious. And, and for me, that really hits that coffee mm-hmm. drive Um, with no caffeine in it. And it's how I get those bitter herbs in. um, And I just have them in the morning instead of in the broth. Yeah. So, But I actually like them in the broth. You really do. do. Yeah, Yeah, you really do. And I think that just because I don't, like I want to share really honestly that I don't like them because I don't want you to think, oh, I'm not an herbalist because I don't like these things in my soup. 
like you're an herbalist. Trust me. Everybody just has to find what works for them. But now that I've shared that, honestly, I also don't want that to put you off trying it. Yeah, yeah. Because Rin loves it. Yeah. So what are we even talking about here? Um, things like burdock, like dandelion, and like chicory. Well, since they're bitter anyway, we can add Ella campaign to that list as well. That's another one of those really okay. good prebiotic roots. Yeah. It's a it's a bit less mild than, than your like burdock and dandelion. Yeah. Uh, but... Absolutely. It is a good one. And uh, and there's some sp specific cases where we might really want to have Ella Campaign in there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, let's say, what do these all have in common so far? Uh, one thing um, from a phytochemistry perspective is that these are all herbs that contain inulin. Mm. And inulin is what we call a prebiotic fiber. Prebiotics are food for your probiotics. So you've got microbes, you've got bacteria that live in your gut and do good things for you. And they really love it when you give them some fibers that your body doesn't break down, uh, but come down into your gut and feed these friends. So we call those fibers prebiotics. And inulin is a really famous one. It's a really powerful one. And it seems to be really beneficial for humans um, because... By it, way of their, their microbiome. By, by feeding yeah, their, their yeah. Friendly, friendly flora, yeah. So all of these herbs, burdock, dandelion, chicory, elecampane, they're all really high in that substance. And broth is a great way to get it. Um, because, for instance, if I wanted to make a tincture of burdock root, um, even if it does extract my inulin well, and like a standard vodka tincture, yeah, it'll come out, and you'll see it, because it'll yeah, make it'll your... It'll be that cloudy stuff at the bottom. Uh, yeah, it'll make your tincture cloudy, and it'll all settle down. It's there, but you're not going to drink, you know, a pint of your burdock tincture, are you? No. No, we don't advise that. <laughs> you know? um, that would be really weird. <laughs> yeah. So the amount of inulin you can actually get in from a tincture is very, very small. But and amount... if you purchase the tincture, it's been clarified anyway, so there isn't any in there. Exactly. But if you yeah. make it yourself, there is. It's just you're you're only getting a tiny bit. And then all your microbiota are going to fight over it because there's only a tiny bit. And, yeah. yeah. There's other good things in those tinctures. They absolutely have their place and they can work really well. But if that's something that we're interested in, feeding our flora, then broth is an awesome way to work with these plants, mm -hmm. right? You cook it a good long time, that breaks it down, disperses it from the plant material, gets it out into that liquid. Um, you drink it down and you feed your friends. That's the way yeah. to go. Yeah. Um, all of these are, again, going to have some bitterness to them in addition, and so that's going to stimulate your digestive movement and activity. This can be helpful if maybe... Um, you know that you need to eat a little more fat in your diet. You know broth can be a good uh, way to do that because um, there's a decent amount of fat on there when you make it. Uh, but you might still have a little bit of difficulty digesting it. Then having these bitter herbs in there is extremely helpful to um, enhance your ability to digest those fats mm -hmm. and to utilize all the goodness that they have for you. You know, also if... We'll go back to the chemo example. If you are, you just have no appetite and it's very difficult, like you're nauseous and it's very difficult to eat anything at all. And maybe once in a while you can manage to eat something like a potato or something really neutral, but it's just hard to even work up the appetite to do it. Bitter things help with that a lot. So if you can uh, appreciate the flavor then having a little bit of bitter in the broth, and it doesn't even have to be a ton, it could just be a little. Having that in the broth could be something that you that you eat 
like, and then maybe in 20 or 30 minutes, you're like, okay, I could eat a potato now, or okay, I could eat some rice now, Mm -hmm. or some squash now, like something really easy to digest. Um, Applesauce, I don't know, like, I'm I'm just thinking like all these really soft foods that we typically cook for a long period of time, so they're already kind of broken down. I'm not saying that like, oh, just have a little bit of bitter broth and then you'll be able to eat steak. Like, not necessarily. But if you're in that place where you just need some calories and you need some, like, some complex carbohydrates like squash are going to give you the calories but also give you nutrients, um, then this would be a really good way to move yourself in that direction from, like, can't really eat anything and I'm not even hungry to, okay, I've consumed some nutrients and now actually I'm kind of feeling hungry. If I eat something gentle, then I think I can keep that down. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, that kind of moves us um, onto another category or like extends us over in that direction. Um, I was thinking about herbs and spices. Yeah. And um, that can mean a lot of different things. So let's kind of start with a couple of herbs that you could work with as a spice and that are kind of similar in this regard, right? They have that bitterness to it. So I'm thinking here mostly about calamus and angelica. They like elecampane, they are bitter, but also warming. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting thing. When it, we, are, we kind of perk up whenever we see that with an herb out there, because that can be really, really helpful, especially for modern populations, the kind of people that we teach and work with most frequently, very often have some degree of deficiency, some degree of like depletion in the body from exhaustion, from working yeah. too hard, from stress, from lots of factors, right? Uh, and that often shows up with some digestive sluggishness or, or deficiency. So the bitter to directly stimulate fluid movement and digestive activation, the warmth to bring that blood, bring that movement, bring in that, that vitality in, um, they can be really, really helpful. And we're always thinking of ways to get these into folks. So broth could be a way to do that. Mm. You know, you mentioned Angelica there and Angelica is in the parsley family and, and it has, if you're like, boy, I don't know about these bitter flavors. Angelica might be the place to start because, um, if you've ever put celery root in your broth, like as a, just a root vegetable, or if you've ever consumed celery root, even not in broth, uh, Angelica has that flavor profile, that sort of celery flavor profile. And then it also has something that's almost a little gingery to it. And then something that's got some bitter to it. But the like kind of foundational flavor is very similar to celery. So, so what I'm saying is that there's a part of this flavor, there's like a strand that goes through it that is a very familiar, recognizable flavor that you even kind of expect to be in the broth. So if you're thinking, hmm, those are things I could really benefit from, and I'd like to accept the bitter soup challenge, then Angelica is a great place to start because because there is some familiarity that's going to come along with the bitter. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And again, Calamus has like a similar-ish flavor, maybe not that celery situation. It doesn't going have on the celery there. thing going on, but yeah. it does have the like, and a side of ginger, it you does. know, like yeah. it's not ginger, but, but yeah, there's it, something going on there. Yeah. And it goes well with ginger. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's another uh, group I would put in there would be those like pungent herbs or pungent roots like ginger and turmeric. Um, and I think if I was going to put Calamus in, I'd 
put at least ginger, probably ginger and turmeric in there yeah. <laughs> just to like get that whole, that whole range of, of activity in, into play. But ginger and turmeric, right? Famous anti-inflammatory herbs, famous digestive herbs, um, also beneficial for your liver. Mm. Same thing we could say with calamus, angelica, elecampane, all those bitter plants. They're going to help and support liver function there. That's really critical. Um, You're really getting a lot of anti-inflammatory action with the ginger and the turmeric there too. Absolutely. And especially right right where you might need it most in the guts, right? So if you are, if this is a time when, um, you know, it's an IBS flare up or something like that, and if you like curry at all, then you could go with a broth that had like the uh, some seaweed and some mushroom and some maybe Codonopsis or Astragalus and then some ginger and turmeric and then like some rice, yeah. you know, to yeah. like maybe bring a little bit more caloric content into it, but still be super, super gentle. And now you basically have like curry broth. And if that appeals to you, um, it's super, super uh, relieving. Yeah. Uh, like that's a... I don't want to say like curative, um, but it it really, it has such strong anti-inflammatory effect that like you're going to feel it really fast. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Lovely. Yeah. Nice. And then, you know, there's herbs that are kind of more in your, in your standard or your normal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> herbs and spices range. Things like, like sage and rosemary. Um, Thyme. Time, yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, those have a lot to offer. With these ones, you might want to wait um, and like you're not going to want to take sage or rosemary or thyme and put them into the soup right at the beginning. You're going to want to wait until it's closer to the time you serve it or maybe even just put it in your eating bowl mm -hmm. um, because these a lot of their medicine is coming from volatile constituents that can evaporate. And so if you throw them in right at the beginning and you're going to boil it for the rest of the day, those are going to evaporate and be lost. But if you take some sage, put it in your bowl, put the bone broth over that, it will liberate them. The scent will start to rise out. You're eating it. You're taking it in. That's a really good way to go about it. Okay. If you want to, like, get a little fancier, there are other constituents in sage and rosemary and thyme. There's um, bitter constituents and... Um, there's even mineral content. There's all kinds of stuff that is not in the volatile oils. And so if you really want to be fancy, put some of it in at the beginning so that you can get those heavier constituents out and then have like a finishing blend that gets added right mm -hmm. when you serve it mm -hmm. um, so that you retain the volatile uh, constituents as well and get that like beautiful aroma. Um, that would be really lovely. Yeah. 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 Nice. And, you know, those are going to, again, they're going to help with digestion, especially if you have, like, cramping. Those aromatic herbs often have a relaxant quality to, like, loosen up the guts a little bit, allow things to move through more easily. Um, sage and rosemary both have that intersection of aromatic and bitter, and that's really where you get a lot of, again, um, liver-focused benefit and a lot of improvement in your ability to digest and absorb fats. Mm. Super helpful here. Yeah. You know, fennel has that action as well, that... Yeah that um, fat digesting action and um, cumin, um, caraway. Mm -hmm. So those could all go in as well. And um, you can put them in in the beginning. You can put them in at the end. You can do both. Um, it's okay to put them in powdered or to put in the whole seed. Um, 
And, and again, those are flavors that are familiar, you know, that's not going to, it is going to push the flavor in a certain direction, but it could be lovely. Like I'm thinking if you had pork bones and then you had a little bit of sausage, isn't that like Italian wedding soup with a little sausage (laughs) and like some diced tomatoes? Yeah. Um, and then you put fennel in there and some thyme and some sage. Wow. That would be really good. Hold on. I should, I should try that. I should make that. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, but there's a lot of range to put herbs into your soup. And I was thinking about a a few going a little further afield. Um, and you know, one of the ways that I sometimes think about herbs is, is from their color and Mm. how that can stand in for certain kinds of chemistry. And if you think about like calendula flowers or dandelion flowers, they have those bright yellow colors and they have a lot of carotenoids these particular anti-inflammatory constituents that are really good for eye health and they're really good for your, um, actually for uterine health in certain ways mm. and, um, you know, just good to have. But you could absolutely put calendula flowers into your soup. Absolutely. Uh, you could get some fresh dandelion flowers and put them right into there. Mm. That's got some benefit for you. Those will go in a little bit of a bitter direction. Hmm. But um, if you don't put too many, then it won't be noticeable, be- like, the flavor of the chicken or whatever you've got going on will be stronger than that. Yeah, it's mild. Bitter. Yeah, it's yeah, mild yeah. enough that you will cover it. Yeah. You know, or we could go in a red direction and we could look at like some goji berries or some hawthorn berries. And mm. this might add a little bit of sweet or a little bit of sour and, you know, balance it with the other herbs and flavors you've got in there. But it's not crazy. You know, it'll come out well. No, actually. And it will deliver the medicine of those plants really well. Yeah. And goji is traditional in a lot of Asian soup recipes. Mm-hmm. And you've got that like sour action going on. And then maybe if you toss some kimchi or some other, like some fire cider or something like that yeah. in the soup, especially at the very end. That's one way I really like to work with my fire cider is um, I don't even strain fire cider. I just take the sliced up chopped up onions and all the other stuff scoop that and the vinegar right into some soup right before you're going to eat it and Mm -hmm. you get this really nice spice in your soup um and yeah i find that i find it really delicious yeah Yeah. but that's that would go nicely with the little sour from the goji or the hawthorn yeah So lots and lots of options. Don't feel limited by anything that we've said today. Um, And definitely experiment with it because this, again, it just, it is a a method that's really fantastic at getting a really broad array of constituents from plants. Um, We didn't mention it too much, but um, one of the things that happens when you make a broth is that because there's some fat content to it, that helps you get oil-soluble constituents from your herbs. Mm -hmm. And from the ones we've talked about today, that's really relevant with like your turmeric, um, it helps with your codonopsis and astragalus, um, some of these other plants, some of the mushrooms even. There's constituents in there that water alone can get them, but maybe not super well. Um, when you have that fat content in there, you're, you're getting a broader spectrum of what mm-hmm. the herb has to offer. Um, and, well, and between that... Even some of the stuff like from calendula or from carrots. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's some, there's fat-soluble stuff totally. in there too. yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so between that like combination of, of mediums that you have going on in there, along with the, the long-term um, heating process, you're getting a, a really good extraction mm-hmm. going on here. So um, experiment wildly and uh, start with some of these we've talked about so far. I guess that's probably it for 
our topic today. Well, no, that's just the beginning because the next step <laughs> is for you to go to the kitchen there we go. And, um, and make some broth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, oh, yeah. And then like reach out to us if there's an herb that you always put in your broth and we didn't even mention it, then we'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we often get inspired by things that our students and listeners yes. tell us and we're like, yeah, I'm going to try that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let us know for yeah. sure. All right, let's uh, close it off with some shout outs. Yes. I'm really excited to say hi to Cheryl at Remedies Herb Shop in Brooklyn. Um, And I am so excited to add her to our list of local herb shops. Um, I'm building that this week and I'll be adding it to all of our courses. And if you run an herb shop somewhere, then shoot me an email so that I can add you to the list as well. The email address is info at commonwealthherbs.com. Yeah. Okay. A shout out to Anna, who's been taking some of our mini courses and attending our live Q&A sessions and is now ready to start the Community Herbalist Program. All right. Yeah, that's exciting. It's time. And Kate from Northern Minnesota, who sent us an email to say that she loves the pod. Thank you. Nice. To Sharon, who's listening to the pod in the pottery studio. Yes. Maybe even right now. Hello. (laughs) Yes. And Natalia, who listens to the podcast to balance out her medical interpreting work in a hospital, Um, uh, even though she would rather be living in a cabin somewhere with all of the herbs. I'm right with you there. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And then to, let's see, Ivy Street Oracle, who just found the pod. And we're so excited you're here. Yay. Thank you for being here. And also to never trust a barborka. I don't know what a barborka is, but I promise I won't ever trust one. Yes. Um, Who wrote us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. It really helps other people to find the podcast and to spread the herby goodness. So um, if you are a listener and you like the podcast, then please just write us a review because it will really help. Yeah. In the world of podcasting, we are super tiny. Um, and, uh, even turning up in somebody's search results is, uh, is not always a guarantee. So, um, the more reviews we get, the more likely that is to happen. Yes. uh, We can spread the good word. Yes. Yeah. Make the algorithms happy. All right. And hey, by the way, if you were looking for a way to spread the herby goodness, uh, (laughs) we have that for you. You could become a supporter of our podcast by going to commonwealthherbs.com slash supporters. You can sign up right there to contribute a few bucks monthly. That money goes directly to the costs of hosting and producing this podcast. And it also helps fund our community projects like our monthly free clinic which in 2020 is going to take place on the second Tuesday of each month. So if you're in the Boston area or happen to be visiting on a second Tuesday, then uh, come by that evening and we will get some herbs for you. Yes. And if that's not enough incentive to lend your support, there's more. We're like Ginsu knives. But wait, wait. there's more. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Um, Every week, we will send you a video with an herbal tip that you can use right away directly into your inbox. It is content that we don't put anywhere else, um, and it comes right to you usually every Wednesday, although occasionally a week gets a little out of control and it comes a little late, and that's happening this week. It's going out today. (laughs) But 
what I'm saying here is that every single week you will receive a swanky video right in your inbox with really cool herbal information, which is our way of saying that we really appreciate your support of the pod. That's what. Yeah. That's what. Okay. So uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, drink Drink some some tea, tea. (laughs) and uh, we'll be back next time. Bye-bye. Bye.